You're listening to a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. Hello, I want to invite you back towards your seat. We're going to be continuing our series today called Jesus, Your Name. And over the next month or so, as we continue through this series, we're going to be talking uh, about spiritual warfare and the context of our relationship with Jesus. And what, how I would define spiritual warfare would be when the, the, what we do as Jesus' representatives, when we re, as re, representatives of the kingdom of light, when we come in contact with outposts or infiltrations of the kingdom of darkness, it is the resistance that's more than just our flesh that opposes us and seeks to steal, to kill, and to destroy our job Uh, which we've chosen to engage in, is to live for Jesus, to stand firm in his mighty power and in his name. And I want to just kind of take, I I was attempting initially to do a one week as a part of this whole series and thought that would be not a good idea because I'm kind of bent towards being a teacher and I thought, I don't think a three hour seminar is what people would want to sign up for on Sunday. So over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about this and what does it look like? I can tell you, If you belong to Jesus, you are already in the fight against evil. If you decide I'd like to opt out and not do that, I can tell you this. There is no opting out because for anyone who is on the planet, whether they belong to Jesus or not, they are a target because people have been made in the image of God. And that which has been made in the image of God is under attack by our enemy who wants to uh, not just wipe us out, but he wants to even destroy anything that remotely reflects the fact that God's thumbprint is on us. So in this series, Jesus, Your Name, we've talked quite a bit about <clears throat> when we're referring to his name, it's about his power and his glory and his, his presence and his sovereignty and his love and his integrity and his character. Everything that is represented in Jesus is represented in his name. And I would even throw out there with the idea of spiritual warfare. Everything we do in spiritual warfare is only done in the name of Jesus. It's not done in a, like we're going to go outside and shout at the devil. I mean, that's, that's a Motley Crue thing. Um, yes, I, I did not ever really listen to Motley Crue, but kind of more of a striper person. Um, it was a, a very bad couple of years in music. Anybody know who striper was? Yes? Okay. So... That's debatable. Yeah, that's debatable. Cassidy Pocock. All right. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. John chapter 10, and then also 1 John chapter 3. And this is, first of all, Jesus talking to his disciples. Second of all, something the apostle John writes about, the mission of Jesus. Jesus says, the thief has come only to steal, to kill, and to destroy I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus identifying the thief as our enemy who wants to strike against the image of God. And then also the purpose that he came was that we would have life and have it to the fullest. And then the uh, Apostle John writing, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus' desire is to uh, declared that there's a way for people to have a relationship with God, but also that the work that the enemy's been doing to wreak havoc on the planet, to where he's really called the prince of this world, the enemy is, because he was given the keys of dominion and authority through sin, and therefore Jesus desires to advance the kingdom of God, but to also demolish that which has been left behind by the enemy. And so 
the mission of God or the missio dei is the things that Jesus is wanting to accomplish and the, the ways and means in which he's using to accomplish those things. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to give life in all of its abundance. The church or his people, his representatives, get to go about and share how Jesus is doing that and then to help establish that to happen on the planet in our sphere of influence. Our enemy comes as a saboteur. He comes to divide. He comes to pollute. He comes to deceive. He comes to pick apart. Um, without go- getting off on rabbit trails, I want you to think about the fact that God, if you just even in the first couple chapters of Genesis, you can see that God made man and woman in his image. Male and female, he created them. And to look and see where at the very core of people's identity, the very core of their creation, that is being called into question. And you look and say, well, it's, it's not a political issue. This is a, a uh, the dark one. This is a dark spiritual influence that's seeking to strike against that which is created in the image of God. Jesus, in contrast, comes to put things right. He comes to reconcile. He comes to heal. He comes to restore. He comes to make new. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, If anyone would be in Christ, they would be a new creation. The old is gone, the new is come. And the next verse says, And as such, we basically have been given the mission of God, which is to reconcile or to reconnect people to God and to show people how they can have relationship with God through Jesus. When Jesus came to the planet in, in the flesh, for the first 30 years of his life, before he launched into ministry, he was, we don't know much of what he did, but once he launched into ministry, he was, he was uh, baptized by John the Baptist, he was led into the desert uh, to be tempted by the enemy for 40 days and 40 nights, filled with the Holy Spirit. He came back from that and he called disciples to follow after him, and he began to declare that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he had a group of, of 12 disciples who were the inner group. But there was uh, many, many more who, who went with them just about everywhere that they went. And some say it was like a, about 100, but we know at, at least, there's at least 72 disciples that are walking in Jesus' inner circle. So wherever they're going, a large group of these people is coming. But the, there's, you have the inner circle of 12. Inside that inner circle, you've got three, Peter, James, and John, who are kind of like the leaders. And then you've got Jesus' favorite, the, Je- the, one, the disciple Jesus loved, the apostle John. And so you've got this, these groups of people that Jesus is working with, but he's basically, by his example, showing them what it looks like to declare that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in what does it look like to undo the works of the devil? What does it look like to address and, and to bring the kingdom of light about? And as he's doing this, he invites and involves all these disciples in watching him, and then he sends them out. Matthew chapter 10, Luke 9 and 10, it talks about he sends out the 12 or he sends out the 72, and he basically says, everything that you've seen me doing I want you to go do as well. I give you my power. I give you my authority and my name over every demon to cure diseases, to proclaim the kingdom of God, and to heal. And it's very similar to what we see with the John the Baptist message of prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. The disciples' authority that they've been given is not their own. It is rooted in right relationship with God. 
And so because they have right relationship with God, they've been entrusted with this, they are being sent by Jesus to go into the villages that Jesus is going to go into next. So they're going as forerunners. They're going as, as the people who are saying, let's get ready. This is what God's doing. And in the meantime, the things that they come across, they're, they're healing and they're bringing restoration. But they're also recognizing that there are times that people are facing opposition, whether it be physical manifestation or whether it be a, a manifestation of evil that is directly tied to the dark one. And they have the authority in Jesus' name to cast that out and to command it to be gone and command it to, to set that individual free. Not every disease is caused by an evil spirit. But there are some that are. How do you tell which ones there are? The Holy Spirit will tell you. There is no book that says, and this is always this and this is always that. That's where we need the discernment of the Holy Spirit to walk into situations and to be led into the truth that we're supposed to be functioning in. Does that make sense? Okay. So Jesus gave them all power and authority. He sent them out, and this takes us to Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 20. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Here's the thing. The disciples are, are just normal human beings. These are guys who, they were not picked by the religious leaders to be disciples. They were picked by Jesus to be disciples. So he could show what he could do with average people. They were not exceptional. They were normal. And when they were going out declaring the kingdom of God is at hand, and they got to interact with people who were sick, they prayed for them and they were healed. They got to interact with people who had diseases. They cured them. They also, as they were declaring the kingdom of God, they got to interact with people who were oppressed by evil spirits. And in Jesus' name, when they spoke, in Jesus' name I rebuke you, be silent, it had to be silent. When they cast it out in Jesus' name, it had to go. This was something that was impressive. We don't know what it was like for people who were tormented by the evil spirited. We don't know what it was like for people who experienced evil and, and, and dark demonic activity in their lives before this point, other than they would often try to call uh, a, a holy man or a religious person to come in and do something to make those things go away. But there was no sure thing that you can know, this is how you do this, this is how, for, for sure, these, these spirits, this dark force will have to listen to and obey you. And these normal men, in Jesus' name, go in, and they obey them. They have to do what they say. And they came back to Jesus and said, yeah, we healed people. Yeah, we declared the kingdom of God. But do you know that the demons obeyed us? They had to do what we said. That's awesome. And they're celebrating. And it's not necessarily because, you know, all of a sudden something, the power is going to their head. But this is more of a, this is a supernatural dark spirit force that we're dealing with, and I can't do anything about that, but I just said in Jesus' name, because I have a relationship with them, the things had to go, they had to flee. And Jesus says, well, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. The quick backstory on that is, at some point, the devil, a created being, 
aspired or ascribed to a position of worship that belonged only to God. And as he tried to elevate himself, I believe it's in Isaiah chapter 7, it talks about the king of Tyre, and it's kind of a representation of what the devil did. I will ascend to the most high. I will be the one who is worshipped. Just all these I will things. And it talks about how that, that he is thrown out of heaven. And continuing the backstory, the devil was thrown out of heaven along with one-third of the angels who had fallen with him, who had disobeyed God and are taken out. And so Jesus is referencing, I understand what you're talking about. I saw the devil thrown and fell like lightning from heaven. And while this is something that is exciting to see, you have to know I've given you the authority to tread on the serpents and on the scorpions. This can be literal, serpents and scorpions. I don't know, you know what kind of snakes there are in Ju Judea and in Samaria in that area. I don't know what the scorpions look like. I know we have them here. One of the things that is a promise of God for his people is that when we, when we encounter that stuff, even to the point of where we would be stung or bitten, that it's not going to affect us. This does not mean next week is snake week at Hillside. Okay? It does not mean, you know, guess what I've got in here? Yes, cyanide, because it's no thing but nothing poison will harm us. Mm. No, it's just water with a little element in it. We don't tempt God, but when we encounter stuff like that, God says he's going to watch us and protect us. But the words snakes or serpents and scorpions also has the, has the connotation or the connection, especially at that time, of dark, dark forces of evil. I almost said sporks, which, I mean, okay. Dark forces of evil. I've given you the authority to trample on sporks, to trample on the dark forces of evil. And that's significant. And it's the reason you have that is because you have the authority that is vested in you. Not because it's yours, but because it's been given to you. I'm a pastor. You know this. One of the things that, as a pastor, I applied for and received the authority to perform marriages in the state of Nevada. It's a very hard thing to become a person who can perform marriages in the state of Nevada. It's very easy to get married here, very hard to get licensed to do so. But when I, if somebody has the license that they purchased, and they come to me and I say man and wife, they are married. And usually at some point in the ceremony I say, uh, by the power invested in me, by Almighty God, and by the state of Nevada, I now declare you are man and wife. And there is nothing in Louis's life that makes that declaration powerful. It's simply powerful because, yes, I'm a representative of God, but I've also become a duly licensed representative of the state of Nevada to say, thou art married to this person. Okay? When we have been entrusted with the power of God, we are not acting in our own authority to go, I'm going to go out there and do what I want to do. We are acting on behalf of the one who has sent us to do what he has told us to do in our daily life. This does not mean we go looking for snakes and scorpions to engage with. Trust me, there are enough of them in the world that you will discover them when God brings them into your path. And when you encounter them, you deal with them. But the focus is not on the devil. And the focus is not on the darkness. 
This is why Jesus says, rather than getting excited about that aspect of it, be excited that your names are written in heaven or that your names are contained in the Lamb's book of life. Because more, one of the things that our enemy wants to do and continues to want to do is to gain power and authority and acclaim and worship for himself. And I believe many of our world systems that worship people or worship uh, ways of doing things, it can be even entertainment, I believe much of that is set up in such a way as to divert worship from where it's supposed to go towards God and to put it towards anything else. And therefore, one of the things that we get to do is we get to live for the praise of God's glory and recognize that everything he's called us to be and to do, he's going to be working for our good and for his glory. And our job is to point to him. And even when we are encountering things of darkness, our focus is not on the darkness and our focus is not to talk about the devil. In all of this process over the next weeks as we're going through uh, this spiritual warfare aspect of Jesus, your name, we will reference our enemy, but he is not the focus. This is not going to be a let's talk about how the, how the forces of darkness are arrayed. No, what we need to know is what is God calling us to do and to be? Where is he called us to function? How is he calling us to function? And when we come in contact with something of darkness, how do we deal with it? How do we address it? Okay, does that make sense? Okay, it's all about Jesus. It's not about anything else. So, with these power dynamics that the disciples are seeing, they're recognizing that there's a, the, the power of God is greater than any power that exists on the planet. As a kid, I, w- I was taught, and I, I, nobody ever actually told me this, but I, it was implied that there's a real God with real power, and that there's a bunch of fake little G gods that don't have any power at all. And what I've come to understand is, while our God is omnipotent, all-powerful, he's omnipresent, he's everywhere, he's omniscient, he knows all, in him is rooted all power and authority, that there are little g gods that though they are false, illegitimate gods, there is power that is associated with them that is powered by the darkness, but powered by the evil one. And... Our responsibility as people who belong to Jesus is to stay as close as possible to Jesus and to not get distracted by all the stuff that's going on around us or look to deal with darkness every single day until Jesus points us in a direction to go do that. Jesus walked on the planet doing ministry in in the name of his name, declaring the kingdom of God, and he only did the things he saw his Father in heaven doing. For us, we could go out and you look at Reno, you look at Sparks, there are countless areas where you can see the works of darkness that are happening. Usually, the works of darkness flow out of flesh and flow out of areas of sin. A person is never so overcome by the works of darkness that they do not have a way out. Over and over in scripture, we see people who are oppressed by the evil one who are brought to deliverance because they choose to come to Jesus for deliverance. And when we look at our city, we can see many, many people who are struggling with being influenced by by spiritual darkness. Usually it's rooted in a sin. It's rooted in a a pattern of behaviors that becomes ensnaring to them. It becomes a stronghold. It becomes a bondage. And we can look all around our city and think, why don't we just start going and, you know, do a little Bruce Almighty here and a little Bruce Almighty there and, you know, just start casting stuff out. It's like because we don't do stuff that Jesus doesn't ask us to do. And if people give the right and authority for darkness to reign in their life, we can't go tell it to be gone because they're welcoming it. 
and even to do so, seven things worse will come to that individual. The scripture tells us. If you were to bring freedom or, or deliverance to a person who's experiencing spiritual darkness and they don't fill it with, with that which is good, that which is the Holy Spirit, it says seven spirits more evil will be gathered together and go and the person's situation at the end will be even worse. So in all of this, our focus is never on the darkness. Our focus is always on the light. But if you go into your garage and you're going to get, you know, a protein drink out of your fridge, it's in the garage, and you come across a scorpion, it's time to deal with the scorpion. When you're going about your daily business and you happen to interact with someone in just your regular everyday life, and there's something there that's not supposed to be there, it's a force of darkness, and Jesus tells you, the Holy Spirit says, you rebuke that, you tell it to be silent, you address it. Over these next weeks, we're going to be talking about different ways we do that underneath the power and authority that Jesus gave to us as we go about our daily life. Does that make sense? So we're not going looking for it, but when it crosses our path, how will we address it? Okay? So, Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through 20. The story of Paul, the apostle, and the seven sons of Sceva. Okay. At this particular time, Paul is working with two people, Priscilla and Aquila. They make tents and sell them, and that's how Paul's funding his ministry in Ephesus. <coughs> While he's working, he's working all the time, he would go at lunch every day to a lecture hall next to his job, and he would teach about Jesus on his lunch hour. But in the meantime, he's making tents. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul so that even the handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I adjure you by the Jesus who Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and mastered all, mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, no kidding, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices." And a number of those who had, practical, who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it, it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So God's doing extraordinary miracles through Paul. We, we hear about it in another place where God's doing extraordinary miracles through Peter. Where Peter's walking down the street and people are trying to gather to have him pray, but he, he can't, they can't get close to him. So Peter's shadow touches them, and they're healed. That's not something we create a theology about. Come stand in my shadow, people. I mean, I say that because it happens. This is where people by faith are coming, and Jesus, I'll, I'll use that. Paul's doing extraordinary miracles. He's working. One of the things we can learn about Paul is whatever he's focused on at that moment, he's doing with all of his heart. If he's working and people are coming, Paul, we need you. There's this guy who's sick or there's this guy who's oppressed by an evil spirit. We need you to come. He's like, I have 
a quota that I have to fulfill. I have jobs that are due. You know, Jake's tent's not going to make itself. I got to get this ready. You know, Pete's doing a, you know, a, a barbecue, a smoke shop thing, and he's going to be needing this tent. It's got to be done. And at some point, he's like, what? It's hot. It's sweaty. It's dirty work. He's wiping his head, and he's like, eh. I don't know what the thought process was, but he's like, take this. Go put it on him. It's a sweat rag. Let's go pray on in the name of Jesus. Why did they need that? Maybe they, it was a faith builder for the individual that was going. It wasn't like there was something in the handkerchief. And he took his apron and said, hey, just take this, put it on the individual. Say in the name of Jesus, he'll be healed. And it happened. We are not going to be blessing hankies and aprons afterwards. And I say that tongue-in-cheek because I've seen both offered Get your special apron, the power. Ooh. He sent those out as representations to say, yeah, I can't go, I'm working, but the power of God is active and alive, and if you need this blankie to help you with that, then take the blankie and say in the name of Jesus. Stinky, sweaty blankie. The seven sons of Sceva, Jewish itinerant exorcists. A minute ago I said we don't actually know how people dealt with the evil spirit or demonic or dark forces. One of the ways that it says that they dealt with it is they had a team of traveling exorcists that would go around and go through processes of trying to bring deliverance where there was darkness. And it happened with varying degrees of effectiveness. And these seven sons of the high priest heard about what was going on in Jesus' name, who Paul talks about. And so they said, we've got the formula, people. Here we go. We're going to send you out. All you have to do is say this. In the name of Jesus Christ, who Paul preaches, obey, be gone, come out. And we hear the story of this evil-spirited individual who's oppressed. And it says at some point, as they've, they've said this to them, like we've said the magic word, obey. The spirit responds, not the man, but the spirit says, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? There is no relationship between Jesus and the seven sons of Siva, and therefore they attempting to do what Paul did and these other believers did in the name of Jesus had no authority or effect or connection because they did not know him. You cannot simply take a name like a talisman or a magic word and go and throw it onto a situation. The power and authority comes through right relationship that is established by people who belong to Jesus. You don't have to worry if you belong to Jesus that somehow, some way, you know, you're going to come across something and there's going to be, well, I know Jesus, but uh, you're awful insignificant. No, if you know Jesus, then you also are significant because of your connection to him. Not because of your awesomeness, but because of Jesus. Seven sons of Sceva get beat up. I picture them going home. They're naked. They got their clothes taken from them. This is a shameful thing. Most likely with black eyes, missing some teeth. What did you do? Well, we tried to do what they did, but we didn't, it didn't work out this way. Everybody heard about it, and the name of Jesus was held in high esteem. Why is this such a big deal? Because Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? 
we do not need to rejoice that the dark one and the dark spirits know who we are because they know who Jesus is. Our responsibility is simply to go about business in his name, doing what he would want us to be doing if he was walking in our shoes. It's not about us. It's not about the power that we bring. But there is definitely the power of God that attends to the life of every obedient believer. And that is a confidence you can take with you, that you are not out there on your own. You're not out there powerless. You're not out there dealing with the the forces of darkness by yourself. You are with the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. You are with Jesus. He's leading you into places at times where you're going to need to take a stand for what is in righteousness as he would tell you to do it. And there's going to be other times where you're walking through even the valley of the shadow of death and you don't say anything. You're just praying in your spiritual language, keeping it between you and him. And when's the difference? When do you confront? When do you not? It's when the Holy Spirit tells you. That makes sense. Okay. Jude chapter 1 verses 8 and 9 written by Jesus' brother Jude. Jude is addressing a group of super, basically a church that's been affected by a group of so-called super apostles who are trying to flaunt their authority both in the physical realm and in the spiritual realm. And he's addressing how they address angelic beings. In like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Glorious ones is a phrase that refers to angelic beings, both godly and dark. Okay? When the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Okay, what does that mean? That's just like when you're reading through Jude and that you come across that, that's just, that's the material that's there. No other place in the Bible does it say, and here's the, the story about when the devil showed up. It was like, you know, before Charlie, Charlie Daniels wrote, the devil went down to Georgia. Devil went down to dispute for the body of Moses. We, don't, we never hear about that, but here it shows up. I believe it also shows up in the book of Enoch. But basically... The book of Enoch is an apocryphal book that contains a lot of stories that are referenced in, in Scripture. That's a rabbit trail. Um, so in this situation, we know Moses was not allowed to enter into the promised land because he disobeyed God when God told him, I want you to speak to the rock so water can come out instead of hitting the rock. And when Moses got to see the promised land, not go in, got to see it, it says then God killed him and buried him. And evidently, at some point, the devil came and said, that body belongs to me, I claim it. And Jude is writing that even the archangel Michael, the one who is a representative of the nation of Israel, the one who sees the face of God, did not confront the devil directly, but instead, in the name of Jesus, the Lord rebuked you. He rebuked the devil in the name of Jesus, even as an angelic being. How much more, as created beings, do we follow the example of that glorious one? Does that make sense? All power and authority belong to Jesus Christ. We are not meant to mess with spiritual forces of darkness apart from Christ. We're not supposed to get involved in the supernatural apart from the things of God. That's why when God says, I don't want you to get involved in witchcraft. I don't want you to get involved in divination. I don't want you to get involved in astrology. I want you to avoid tarot cards and fortune tellers and palm reading. All those things are invitations to the spiritual world to connect for special knowledge. But they come with a hook because 
that source of knowledge comes from dark spirits. When it comes to <clears throat> people who, uh, there was a guy years ago, I'm not going to say his name, but he was well known for talking to the dead. During his, he'd do a, like a, a big show with a group of people, and who here's you know suffer had a had a loved one that they just wish they could have said their last words to, and that I was me, and somebody would he'd he'd make like he's contacting the, their spirit and talking with them, and he'd reveal all sorts of stuff, and people were really convinced and cut to the heart that he's talking to my loved ones. That type of interaction with the spiritual world does not happen apart from talking to a familiar spirit or a spirit that is assigned to a person to get familiar with them, to be able to share the details and even mimic them should there be some sort of attempt to interact in that way. A familiar spirit's job here on this planet is to get familiar with you to know which areas of, of sin and temptation will be most effective with you. Does that make sense? So that's where that, you know, in a, I think it's in 1 Corinthians, it talks about the elemental spirits of this world. That, that's what it's referring to. When a person attempts to contact the dead, they don't get to talk to the dead. They talk to those dark spirits that then lead them and move towards deception. And Jesus says, the only way you interact with the supernatural realm is through me and through my Holy Spirit. So what do we do if we've messed with that? I've heard countless stories of people going to sleepovers as kids and somebody busted out a Ouija board just for fun and ended up with who knows what happening. I've heard stories about well, just say, go into your bathroom, turn off the lights and say these words and so-and-so will appear to you in the, in the mirror. I've heard people who have had that happen and be freaked out. It's like, how am I supposed to sleep? But what if you've crossed those lines? What if you've done that? There's hope in Jesus. And it is con fully contained in repentance. It's turning away from that. It's rejecting it in Jesus' name. And it's choosing to be obedient to Jesus. I like to say it's starting at your house. In, our, in the back at our Connect and Grow counter, I have a sheet of paper with a series of Bible verses on it. And if you would like to pray over your home and to basically declare this place and these people belong to Jesus. Using something like this as a prayer guide can be incredibly helpful for establishing God's purpose and presence in your home, but also over each person who lives in that home. This is not magic. What it is, it's a series of declarations that are contained in Scripture and that also being done in the name of Jesus, we have the right and authority to be able to say this is what will be true. Just the way, same way Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You can do the exact same thing in praying for your home. In Jesus' name. And in doing so, it's like, well, what, what do you expect you're going to be you know, telling to go? What you, it's like anything of darkness or evil that has come in because it's been brought in by compromise or sin... Anything that's come in through the, you know, entertainment, it can happen. Sometimes you have people who come and visit your home, and they bring travelers with them. They, they, they're coming, and they're, if you ever kind of, I'm a big fan of Charlie Brown. One of my favorite characters was Pigpen, because wherever Pigpen went, he was surrounded by this cloud of dust and dirt. That's a spiritual represent. There can be a spiritual representation of people who come with them and bring a spiritual cloud of confusion and chaos and darkness wherever they go. 
That does not mean that they themselves necessarily are evil, but they have given themselves to allow that to dwell there. Nobody wants the Clark guy or the Nevada bugs man to show up at your house and say, you have an infestation of roaches. You have an infestation of mice, and not just mice, but deer mice with their big ears and their wee beady eyes carrying who knows how many viruses. And by the way, there's scorpions galore and snakes everywhere under your house. Nobody wants to hear that. What do you do when you find out? You say, let's get rid of them. Praying through your home on a regular basis gives you a way to evict anything that's not supposed to be there. In the same way we cleaned out our pantry yesterday, it was not glamorous. It was a little bit messy. It was a little bit tedious. There were chocolate chips and peanut M&Ms, but it, it was like, it's a very practical exercise. And when looking at this, it's like, well, how come this is powerful? Because it is, in many ways, when we're interacting with um, spiritual forces of darkness in Jesus' name, it can almost read like a very dry legal decree from a judge. By the power of so-and-so, this is what will be allowed here. By the power of so-and-so, this is what will not be allowed here. Everything that is here on behalf of this has to be gone in Jesus' name. Everything that belongs here will have to be taken in Jesus. And it's just, it's almost like, you know, this is just some sort of decree. The enemy that we are battling is looking for footholds, looking for loopholes, looking for every little nook and cranny to attempt to establish a foothold in our life so that he can function to wreak havoc and to bring, uh, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. We see these encouragements in Scripture. Be angry, but don't sin. Don't give a foothold to the devil. You give a foothold to the devil in your life when you sin in your anger. That's a whole other reason about getting our anger, anger under control. So what Jesus said, don't lust after someone. Because if we lust after them, that's where it plants the seed that leads towards fulfillment of that, which leads towards all sorts of uh, sexual entrapment and sexual grossness. But it starts with recognizing those things. And Jesus is telling us, we renounce the flesh that would have let this thing in, and we, in Jesus' name, cooperate with the Holy Spirit in doing that and praying through the home. I like to use like a little, I have an anointing bomb. It, it, it's not B-O-M-B, that is B-A-L-M. Um, it's, it's a special frankincense from Jerusalem. It doesn't have to be that. My uncle Bruce, my dad's uncle Bruce, used to take motor oil, if he couldn't find anything else. And he would anoint his doors and anoint the window jams, and he would just kind of pray around his house. Because the, the, the anointing oil, the anointing bomb, represents the presence of the Holy Spirit saying, this is yours, God. We're going to be used for you. I was talking to a friend who had just prayed through their house this week and said, for the first time, their kids slept through the night in their own bed. Thank you, Lord. The enemy wants us to live with as much disruption as we're willing to tolerate. Jesus invites us to a way of life and health, dedicated and devoted to him, submitted to him, where we're seeing his kingdom come, his will be done in our life, and we're not giving an inch away to the enemy, and we're also helping to evict that enemy's work in our lives and in the lives of those people around us. Does that make sense? Okay. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, and I pray that you would give us 
I actually thank you for the discernment that you give us by the power of the Holy Spirit and the wisdom you give us. I pray that as we go home, you would, I, I can just remind us we do not have a spirit of fear, but of power of love and a sound mind. And I pray that as we pray over our homes, as we renounce dark behaviors, as we, uh, the, the areas where we've given a foothold to the enemy, I thank you, Lord, that you meet us right there, that you cleanse us and purify us and, and forgive us, and that you give us a way to walk with you in freedom and life and expand that into ever-increasing influence wherever we go. Lord, in Jesus' name, we agree that no weapon formed against us shall prosper as we walk with you. Lord, we agree that we do not do anything in our own strength or our own power, but only in your strength and only in your power. And I pray that you'd give us very clear eyes to see and ears to hear and feet that go where you tell us to go in Jesus' name. With everybody's heads bowed and their eyes closed, there was a, a, a portion of that scripture where it says at the very end of that, that chapter of Acts, it says there was a whole bunch of Christians that were convicted about the magical art books that they were, they were invested in, and they all gathered it together, and they, they destroyed them, and it was 50,000, uh, basically 50,000 days wages worth of, of magic stuff. The possibility exists that you're here today, and it's been brought to your attention that some of the things that you've given yourself over to before or currently have been offered up as ties or potential entryways for darkness. And if you would like today to be free, you'd like to be done with that, God's giving, he's stirring you up even right now to say, yeah, that's me, I want to repent, I want to turn from that, I want to be done with it, and I want to walk forward in you. And I just would invite you to lift your hands up to the Lord as a sign of saying, yeah, that, that's me, I recognize there's things that need to change, there's things that need to go, there's things you're leading me to, Lord, that I can't go to carrying this stuff. Lord, as you see hands up around this room, I thank you that by the power of God in Jesus' name you are working, that you break every chain, you break every bond, you break every curse, Lord, that you restore, you renew, you make whole. We command those things to be broken in Jesus' name. We speak your life and your health and your peace over each person as they take steps of faith to put into practice what they know to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'd like to wrap up with something like this. Chris, will you come on up? We're going to sing Jesus, your name one more time. What did I hear today that requires my response today? If you know there's stuff at your house, and by the way, this isn't a, if you got Led Zeppelin at your house, you go throw away those records and burn them. Okay, I'm not going to tell you, that was my, growing up in, in church in the 80s, that was, it was it's, it's the secular music, everybody. That's what, whatever you may have God brought to your mind, if there's something you need to get rid of, just get rid of it. I can't tell you why he tells us to get rid of certain things. Years ago, I had been looking for a cassette tape of a, a Queensryche. I don't know if anybody ever listened to Queensryche. I really, really enjoyed Queensryche. I, I thought. I heard it on the radio, heard it from a friend, and I bought this tape at a pawn shop. And I take it home, and I, I put it, I'm going to put it in my car, but it's sitting in the, in the living room. And I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I just knew something dark and gross was happening. And I, I, I couldn't tell you what it was, but it was just, and I started praying in my spiritual language because whenever you wake up afraid, first thing you say, Jesus, give me insight. Praying in my spiritual language, and I saw the album cover. And I, I, I'm not saying, and that's why we know. It was a t but there was something that was attached to that particular thing. God said, you get rid of that. And I went and took it, and I broke it, and I threw it away in the garbage outside. And I came back in, and it was like a completely different home. If God tells you to get rid of something, get rid of it. And then don't go get it out of the trash. If he's calling you to take 
by the way, there's, a, there's at least 50 copies of this prayer to pray over your church. Joe, uh, back by Victor, to pray over your home. Pray it over your church too, I do. Uh, but to pray it over your home, t- take it, go home and do it. Involve the kids, bring them. Hey, we're inviting the Holy Spirit to just live in our home and to live within us, to set angels at every door and window. Okay. Where is God calling me to obey him in Christ Jesus today? What do I need to do? What do I need to add to my life pattern, my habits? What do I need to subtract from that? At the very heart of it, we continue to come back to, in everything over everything, we declare the name of Jesus. Let's stand as we sing. for the name, the name of Jesus, at which every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you're Lord. We thank you even more that our names are written in the Lamb Book of Life, that, that we know you and we belong to you. I pray that you would fill our mouths 
with your name, to call upon you in our time of need. Thank you, Lord. I just want to bless you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. God bless you today. There's going to be prayer available back by the trellis. I also wanted to remind you, uh, Willie and Diane are moving from Reno to Sparks this coming Saturday. If you'd like to help out, you can see them, but it's going to be about 9 o'clock on this coming Saturday, the 11th. Anyway, God bless you. Have a great rest of your Sunday. This has been a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. You can reach us via email at web at hillside4.org. That's W-E-B at hillside, the number 4, dot org.